Hebrews chapter 13 verse 1. Um, if, you, if you're new here, we've actually been hooking through the book of Hebrews uh, at a cracking pace over the last 18 months or thereabouts. Um, we're more like a marathon than a sprinter. Um, but we're very close to the end, so there is hope. All right? There is hope that we're actually going to get through this book of Hebrews. Um, lots of big ideas have unfolded throughout the rest of the book. And the writer finishes it off, encouraging the community of believers in their way of life to live life worthy of the calling of belonging to Jesus. The book has largely been written to people who are under threat of persecution because they loved and followed Jesus as God. I'm not sure if that's you. I'm not sure if you're under threat or persecution uh, at your workplace perhaps or even at your school because you have very much an external faith and love for Jesus. Um, Maybe the temptation for you is that the threat of persecution means that you want to draw in and pull in um, and, and not let your faith be known. So the temptation to give up on their faith and give up on each other had obviously been just as threatening as the persecutors themselves. The author says time and time again, don't drift away. Don't drift away from the faith that you hold so dearly. Don't become dull of hearing the word of God. Don't get to the point where you're actually reading the Bible or you're hearing the Bible, doing nothing about it, and it just becomes a dull roar, um, like a clashing cymbal. Um, don't give up meeting together. That was a big temptation, that their faith would become individualistic and people would just start living on their own and living their faith on their own. It was never meant to be that way. And then the opening line of this final section, Hebrews chapter 13. If you've got your Bible, please have it open. We're going to jump a little bit uh, around today. It says this, let brotherly love continue. Let brotherly love continue. Some of you are probably thinking, sweet as, four words, how the heck is he going to preach an hour-long sermon on that? Well, I'll do my best to keep it short, um, but we've been probably known out here to preach for a while. So um, we'll see how it goes. It appears from this sentence that the author can actually already see brotherly and sisterly love at work in, in his audience. Where, as you read it, let brotherly love continue. Uh, perhaps you're thinking, well, I'm not a brother, I'm not a male, this doesn't apply to me. You look into the word and it's sort of a gender, gen, gender neutral uh, sort of word. So it's brother and sister and it's very much the context of family, uh, which I'll look at uh, a little later. Based on the response of many of you to Pete's sermon last week, I want to thank you for the way you do this. Uh, there is a lot of you out there, some of who are here, some of who aren't, who are demonstrating this idea uh, of brotherly love and sisterly love and affection toward one another. Um, there's been numerous times, but uh, I'd like to tell of a few. I have to tell you um, that we sat in community group last this week and, um, and I asked just some of the ways that people were contributing to the project because last week was all about submitting to good leadership, healthy leadership. And, uh, and as we sat there, uh, one, one bloke put his hand up and he's like, I pray for the project regularly. And he said, I pray for the leaders in the project regularly. And I, I sat there and I was just absolutely blown away because there's times, like Pete said, where it can end up feeling pretty lonely. Uh, but you actually hear that people have been praying regularly without your knowing. Man, that is an absolute blessing to hear. Um, and, and praying by name. Uh, I've on numerous occasions called on others when I've seen an opportunity to be generous, uh, to multiply the generosity. So I thought, 
all right, I can see an opportunity for this person to be generous to them financially, um, but what if I could actually be more generous than, than just what I've got to give? And so I've put it up on the city, and uh, I, I've, been, I've been gobsmackingly humbled by the generosity that some have poured out and continue to pour out, um, particularly financially. That doesn't mean to say that if you have no money, uh, you're not being generous. I'm not saying that, but just these people who particularly are wealthy, they have lots of money, have been exceedingly generous in these opportunities. And uh, as a result, I have been able to be more generous. We've been able to be more generous to... Uh, the... it, it's been absolutely amazing uh, to join and partner with people. And, um, and uh, if you get the opportunity, may I encourage you to uh, keep doing that. See the opportunities to be generous. See the opportunities to be serving and uh, get into it. I've seen cars offered to people free of charge. I've seen cars given to people, given away to people, free of charge uh, to people who've needed it. Meals driven to sick and pregnant mums and dads. Uh, the dads obviously aren't pregnant. Thanks, Pete. <laughs> uh, who, were in, who were in real need. Prayers of support and friendship. People calling each other and praying for each other over the phone. Uh, there has been... Um, People who've drifted away and others have prayed and pursued. It hasn't just been, okay, I'm praying for that person. They've literally gone out uh, and pursued them in relationship. And so, man, this is already happening in the project to some degree or another. Uh, but it comes to, comes to this point in Hebrews, and it obviously we, we hear the word of God and we need to continue to be shaped and molded by it. And so what I encourage you today, and I hope this will be a word of encouragement, perhaps a word of challenge to uh, continue growing in it, to continue showing brotherly love for one another. Uh, Pete mentioned about becoming like a cult, and when you hear people talking about loving each other like brothers and sisters, that can end up feeling a bit cultish, right? Uh, perhaps you, I don't know, maybe you've experienced that before. Uh, maybe you've heard of that experience. I heard a uh, good definition of a cult this week. And a cult is where basically there's one person who's in charge, one person who's in, thor- in authority, and they define doctrine and basically people have to submit to them no matter what. So if they tell you to go and get married, if they tell you not to get married, um, things like that, then then you have to submit to that just because they're the one person in authority. Um we don't do that here. We have a leadership that's spread across um, at least three of us. And you heard Pete talking about how we go and uh, and we share that with our community group leaders as well so that we can be in an agreement. Um, we can challenge each other. In fact, we do challenge each other on what we believe and what we say. Um, and so you actually... It, the big idea of, of it not being a cult is that it actually centers on Jesus um, and that it actually pursues uh, Christ and the kingdom that he's building uh, around us. So we are not a cult. Please don't hear us uh, sounding like a cult. But the Bible says, let brotherly love continue. So what does it look like? What is a brother in this context or a sister? What is a brother in, or a sister in this context? I don't know if you remember that um, New Zealander. Uh, it was a bit of a rip on, on the New Zealanders, so I didn't want to play it because I didn't want to cause offence. Um, but it, it was this whale that got beached on a uh, on New Zealand shore, and he goes, I'm beached as, bro. This seagull walks up, and uh, he goes, hey, bro, like this. And... Uh, and Terrible accent. From what I've heard, if you're a New Zealander, they just go, it's terrible. It doesn't even sound like a New Zealander. Um, 
But the, the whole idea of calling each other bro really took off uh, from that, particularly in our context of school. Um, there was people all over the place calling each other bro. In fact, there have been numerous times myself, I've been referred to as bro by students here at the school. Uh, which I'm not sure is a compliment or just weird. I just get a bit weirded out by it. Or I've, uh, I don't know if you've walked into City Beach. Has anybody walked into City Beach before? And, um, maybe I'm the only one. Uh, as I walked into City Beach in Grand Central, some 15 year old kid with a ring the size of a piston sticking out of his left earlobe, dressed in shorts that hang well below a desired position, and a shirt that is just shorter than the top of his shorts, so that his quicksilver underwear is revealed for the unsuspecting customer. I avert my eyes just in time for me to find a quiet place among the Vulcan caps and re image my brain without that picture. But he says to me, Hey bro, how you going? Like, ah. Oh. I'm a bro now, sweet. Well, that's, oh, I didn't know it happened that quickly. Um, so this whole idea of calling each other bro, uh, perhaps it's just this sort of um, age or uh, this sort of culture, um, but I hear it all the time. But there has to be a difference, right, between that sort of brotherly love uh, and the brotherly love that, uh, that Hebrews is talking about. Perhaps there's actually something far deeper than just calling someone a bro or calling someone a brother, right? Uh, I've had men who I would call brothers um, who aren't my blood brothers, and there is a massive difference. They've been on the other end of the phone in a moment of crisis late at night, personally, or been the ones who uh, we have sat together with their family and prayed with them as they've tried to discern decisions and make decisions. Um, It goes far deeper than just calling someone bro or calling someone brother. This idea of uh, brotherly love within the context of the family of God. Who is a brother? John Piper says it this way. Now, why is this so important, understanding that we're brothers and sisters? It's important because tender family affection among believers witnesses to the truth that God is our Father. Witnesses to the truth that God is our Father. The church is not primarily a human organization. It is primarily the family of God. If you've come here this morning, you've come here and in some way, shape or form, we are functioning as the family of God. We probably look pretty messed up and uh, that's part of a bit of what the family of God looks like. Uh, But we're functioning as the family of God. To be a Christian means that you were born a second time into the family of God. You were born the first time into a human family. You've been born a second time into God's family. And if that's confusing to you, don't worry. There's a guy in the Bible called Nicodemus who was just as confused, right? He says to Jesus, but how can you get back into your mum's tummy and be born again? Jesus is like, no, 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 you've missed the point. No, it's, a, it's what happens internally. It's something that goes on in the heart. So God as a father is in the business of adopting new children all the time. He made the ransom payment of death of his own son to win more and more and more children into his family. When his children are born again, he gives them a new heart with new desires that love him and want to live by his house rules. as uh, In this family, he refers to us as brothers and sisters. And now here he is commanding us to let brotherly and sisterly love continue. So this particular sort of love is different to that one, which could be shown in the checkout chick at the groceries or even the new neighbor who's just moved in next door. There's a difference between loving people who don't believe in Jesus, because you're meant to do that as well, right? And the difference between loving uh, our brothers and sisters. Let me uh, take a look at uh, what that difference looks like. 
The unity experienced between brothers and sisters in Christ is that which comes from having one Father, who is God, and that that Father God comes and gives one purpose and direction. We are all heaven-bound. I sang that song home this morning because uh, we're all traveling. We're all actually heading towards the same home. Uh, We're all headed in the same eternal direction. We all have one home, which is called heaven. And we're on a journey toward it. Just recently, we had high school camps here at the school. That was where years 8 through 12 uh, went off on camps. And there was numerous families who I got back on the Friday, and they're sort of waiting for all their kids to come back. So there was a kid on year 9 camp, a kid on year 11 camp, and a kid on year 12 camp. And uh, they all went out, and they were doing, they had different experiences. They were geographically located in completely different spots. But what did they do on the Friday? They all actually came home to the same home and to the same parents in the end. And I think that's a little bit of an image of what it looks like as a church. You all, uh, we all live in probably geographically different locations. We all are doing different jobs that God's called us to. But what do we actually have in common? We actually have in common a, a common uh, direction that our lives are heading. And that is that we're coming home to God. And we're continually coming home to God uh, day by day as we continue living. Um, but clearly this doesn't happen all the time. Maybe you've been in churches where you know that this doesn't happen very, very much. John, in his uh, epistle, in 1 John chapter 3, uh, if you get a chance, I'd love for you to, uh, if you're taking notes, I'd love for you to read 1 John 3 and 1 John 4. Um, they are very clear in what it means to love and follow God, but it's also very clear in what it means not to love and follow God. Um, 1 John 3.10, and it's a, it's a striking word. By this, it is evident. So you get the picture that this is, this is how you know that someone loves God. Someone who is born again, this is how you know that uh, they love God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Two camps, that's it. You're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. That's the way that uh, John unpacks it here, which is hard words. Uh, Very hard to hear. Uh, Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. I've just talked about how uh, God rescues and adopts people into this great big family. And so what happens is that you get a whole bunch of brothers and sisters that you never thought you had. Um, and, and you get one dad who's God and who's perfect and uh, who's just and who's right and who loves benevolently on his children, uh, loves incredibly his children. But to be clear, John makes it really clear, if you don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ, and it doesn't mean you get to love some and not others. This is brothers and sisters. We are part of the family of God. Uh, if you didn't love brothers and sisters in Christ, then you're actually a child of the devil. That's it. It was striking to me. It's shocking. Like, it is shocking. Nobody wants to hear that. But in the end, it's the truth. And it's a really clear definition. It's a really clear defining point uh, for being a child of God. Love for God is not and cannot be separated from love for the rest of his family. It can't. You can't love God as an individual and that's it. You love God within the context of this massive big family. And the cool part is that the family isn't just here at the project. 
If the family was just here at the project, we'd be a cult, right? But we're not. We're part of this massive big family worldwide that God is rescuing and redeeming and saving for himself. He's making it new. And ultimately, when uh, the biblical counseling was talking, ultimately to love brothers and sisters is part of the process of being sanctified, part of the process of growing up into, uh, into the children, into the adult children, of God that, uh, that God wants us to be. The great Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias tells the story of one of the men who works for him, who is a former Taliban fighter. He was born again into the family of God. And within a conversation he was having with him, the former Taliban fighter explained uh, faith in God like this. He said, imagine a circle. So if, you, if you're taking notes, maybe you could draw it to help you uh, remember it. But imagine a circle. You've got a circle, and within that circle is a dot. Just one tiny dot right in the center. And he said, where I come from, the Middle East, where I come from, he's back to America now, uh, he said, faith is the massive big circle and your life is that tiny little dot in the middle. And so if my faith in God calls me to live or to die, it doesn't matter. Because my life is just this tiny little circle in the middle. But he said when he came to America, what he found was that life was this massive big circle and this thing called Christian was this little tiny dot in the middle. And ultimately, the little tiny dot, their faith in God, was expendable depending on how much it cut into this massive big thing called their life. And so uh, in the end, I think that's a helpful analogy and I'm hoping that it's a helpful analogy for us to continue moving now to uh, what it looks like to show brotherly love and sisterly love toward one another. Are you going to let this command that God says to go and love brothers and sisters cut and shape your life so that your life is like that dot in the middle? Or is it going to be that this word, that the word of God that you hear week in and week out, is just going to be like this tiny dot that might just give you a little nudge in some direction, but ultimately you can forget about it because it's only a little tiny dot in your life. Maybe it needs to be reversed. If life is lived holding on to life with this tiny little split called Christian, then guaranteed, I guarantee, if that's the way you live your life, love for other Christian brothers or sisters will be minimal, if not evident at all. An attendee at an organization or a building is what you become. Here's my first point. You were never meant to attend a church. You were never meant to attend a church. If you're a Christian today, you were never meant to attend a church. You were born again to attend to one another with love and affection. Because the church was never meant to be a building. Look at history all the way through, and this is what Hebrews has done. Look at history all the way through, and you can see that God has been raising up for himself, not a temple, not a, uh, not a building, although that was part of it. He was ultimately raising up for himself a people to be called his own. They were, they were the Israelites. And he hasn't changed. He's doing the same thing today. He's raising up for himself a family. And he's adopting new kids all the time into his family. And this is what we see is growing. We don't want to be growing a big building and an amazing building. Maybe we'll need a building one day. Just like a family needs a home, it's actually about the family. It wouldn't be a home without a family. It's a dead house, right? And, uh, and it's the same. Someone who doesn't love their brothers and sisters attends church. Maybe it, uh, they attend it like a movie theater. They come to be entertained. It's all about satisfying your need of religious pleasure. There's no connection to anyone. There's no transformation before quickly leaving and going back to the major section of your life. You've had your two hours of entertainment. You're off. See you later. Done. 
Maybe it uh, it ends up being like a social club. You attend for the social interaction because it's really nice to hang out with people and have a chat and see what's happening in the week. Maybe find out a little bit of goss going on. Uh, and, and it becomes like a social club. A couple hours a week without any engagement with the rest of life. It's nice to socialize and have some things in common for a few hours. Uh, but the rest of the life is completely separate. Maybe it's attending like a footy game. You attend, you roar, you get, get behind it, you put your hands up in worship and a few hours on a Sunday, but return to your life the rest of the week with no thought of the people who you spoke to or cheered with. At the end, everyone walks out of the stadium, leaving the rubbish behind for someone else to clean up. If you, maybe you felt like that, maybe you've been there. Uh, maybe you attend like a business transaction. It's all about give and take, but mostly take and try to get more than what you pay for. Maybe you put a bit of money in the uh, maybe you put a bit of money in the offering, and uh, you're like, "Sweet as I've paid my dues, now I want three three meetings with the pastor because he gives them out for free." All right, uh, and oh, I'm, I'll just challenge that. All right, it doesn't say let the pastor love continue. It says let the brothers and sisters love continue. That's every person. And so there's, there's this really precious weight that God puts in people's hearts to go a longing for this brotherly, sisterly connection within God's family. The problem with thinking like this is exactly where it started. An individual who attends a church. If you're an attendee, this would be a strong warning to you. 1 John said that those who don't love the brothers and sisters are children of the devil. It means that possibly the religious activity you engage in becomes a means to get right with God. God may be in view, but trust in Christ is not. And the affection and love for brothers and sisters is certainly not there. Being an attendee is not biblical, nor was it God's design for the family that he's raising. Can you imagine a family? Maybe your family was like this. And this is why it's hard that it, it might need to be re-imaged and reshaped in your mind what this looks like, to be brothers and sisters, to be the family of God. Um, can you imagine a family where people live in a house but are completely disconnected from one another? So it's like they attend this place called their bedroom and they attend walking into the kitchen and out of the kitchen, but it's devoid of all uh, affection. There's no encouragement. There's no... Emotional touch, physical touch, it's a necessary part of relationships. Um, there's no, uh, I mean, it's just void of all physical connection and emotional connection. There's no affection in, in this household. Can you imagine a house like that? It would be like walking into a dead house. It would be extremely challenging. And life, life does not exist there. Can you see what God's saying? To love him with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, but to love the brothers and sisters because that's actually where great life will become. And it even becomes like a foster system. I talk to um, numerous foster parents and there's even some who are part of the project here. And you see foster parents who kids walk in from one house, they get pulled out and jumped into another house, pulled out and jumped into another house. It's done by the, by the government looking after these children. Uh, but ultimately, it can look like that. It, it ends up being affectionately called church hopping, right? We just hop from church to church to church to church to church. And in that, it, it's really difficult, I would say, it's really difficult to engage in this brotherly, sisterly affection. How can you really know people? Like a child jumping into a foster home for two weeks, how can you really know them? 
You can't. There's limited connection that can go on there, right? They get pulled out. They jump into another one. Oh, I want to be connected. I want to know the people. I want to hear some good teaching. Brotherly, sisterly affection, zippo. Move on to the next one. And it continues to happen like a foster child. You're not a foster child. You get born into the family of God and there's meant to be this deep sense of relationship going on amongst us. So what marks a son or daughter of God is the love they profess for God and the love they have for their brothers and sisters. So what does that look like? C.S. Lewis says it this way in his book called The Four Loves. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And I think this is the start of what it looks like to uh, love our brothers and sisters. Love and affection for brothers and sisters is something organic. I've heard it said uh, about humility, that humility is not something that you finally attain to. Humility is something that's always being pursued. And so humility is something that you grow into. Just like a little baby grows into an adult, they don't stay a baby, they don't finally hit adulthood, and that's it. They continue growing and changing throughout their whole life. Right? So it is with humility. So it is with brotherly love and affection. Sisterly love and affection. It's something that's organic and grows. Um, and, and it's not something I don't think that you can just switch on and switch off. Okay? It's like this continued growth. Maybe uh, there's moments of hampered growth. Maybe there's things that come around and strangle the growth. Uh, but nonetheless, you maintain this forward momentum of growing in brotherly love and sisterly love. And I would submit to you this, that it cannot happen in isolation. There may be the rare case, I, I know, where God calls some people to go out and take great risk, uh, perhaps even leave their family, to go into a foreign country, into a village where nobody's heard about Jesus, and, uh, and they risk their lives on their own for the gospel, to take the gospel to this community, to take the gospel to this village. Um, in that sense, I guess they're on their own, right? But I don't think they're an individual. It would be folly for them to go on their own without anyone backing them. To know that you're actually part of a family who's backing you and supporting you, that may be a- an example of where it could happen in isolation. But for majority of people sitting here today, may I encourage you that it will not happen in isolation. For you to fulfill this command that God gives for your life, to, to have life, uh, it happens in community. Perhaps it's a bit risky for you. You've been heard in the past by other Christians, or to hear about talk about family is painful, as your own history with brothers and sisters and mum and dad has been rather painful yourself. One of the things I learned in uh, biblical counselling that I did earlier in the year was, uh, it, 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 was really, it really stuck out to me. And that is that the past, while the past may be significant, it doesn't have to be determinative of the future. So what's happened to you in the past and the brothers and sisters that have hurt you in the past, uh, which is absolutely possible, who've offended, who've come with daggers, like that psalmist says, um, 
it absolutely is possible that hurt has happened in the past. And while that's significant, and while you should try to deal with that and work it through, uh, what's more significant is that you don't end up becoming a slave to that. John Piper put it this way when he talks about the, considering the mercy of God upon you, and if they're a brother and sister in Christ, and you know that they're a brother and sister in Christ because you see them loving other brothers and sisters, right? But if you know that they're a brother and sister in Christ and they've hurt you or they've offended you, Here's what he says as an encouragement, and let it be an encouragement to you. Keep your eyes focused on the heavenly reality, not on the earthly frustration. We tend to focus most exclusively on the ways we've been hurt or disappointed. That will defeat us every time. There is a greater reality to think about and focus on, but you must make an effort. Focus on the reality of God's fatherhood. When you think about a Christian that is hard to feel affection for, say God is her father or his father. When you see her, think God is her father. Then say, God is my father. We have the same father. Jesus is her saviour and Jesus is my saviour. The same blood brought her as brought me. The same Holy Spirit indwells her as indwells me. The same love flows from God toward her that flows toward me. She is my sister. He is my brother. He will live forever in the same family. We will live forever together in joy and ecstasy in the presence of our Father on the new earth. Doesn't that change your perspective? From being one of being so bound up and enslaved to this anger or hatred or bitterness that you've held towards this person to being someone who actually can move ahead and move forward to actually live your life. Forgiveness would be a massive part of that. So letting brotherly love continue seems to be impossible. Maybe for some of you. However, God can sometimes command the impossible so that we learn to depend on him to mold us and shape us into the people he wants us to be. So the second part of that statement, and this is where I'll finish. You were born again to attend to one another with love and affection. So you were not born again to attend a church. At the project, we do not want attendees who come in and leave. We don't want to be like a movie theater. We don't want to be like a sports stadium. We don't want to be a, uh, a business transaction. We want to be a family. And that means that each and every one of us actually get to do things uh, to continue growing and to continue deepening our love and affection for one another. So you were born again, not to attend church, but to attend to one another. With love and affection. So come back to the beginning. I started with the encouragement of many of you who are already loving with brotherly and sisterly love. That type of love and affection that Hebrews and Romans talks about is the type of natural love that happens with a parent and a child. Sometimes, uh, unfortunately, what can happen is that uh, the only love that you consider or that may be thought about is a one with sexual undertones, but that is not the only kind of love. Um, because that can get really messy, right? So some way we want to be a family, like a father and a son or a father and a mother and a daughter, and you actually get to love one another with this pure love. So when you're considering how you can be fulfilling this marvelous command of God, what ought to happen is not necessarily coming up with a list of jobs you need to do to serve people more or better. First, may I suggest you consider whether in your heart you have any affection for the people whom you serve. 
Maybe you are like this, a great person in our church. You're putting away chairs. You're lifting out chairs. You're getting here early on a Sunday. You're serving in the music team. And we are super thankful for that. It is marvelous to serve beside brothers and sisters. But maybe this could be your question. How much affection do you have for the people you're serving with? How much loving affection do you have for the people you are actually serving? That will look different depending on uh, how you attend church or attend to the people in the church. This particular command is not one that's switched on or off. It's one that's grown. So here's some ways to grow in love and affection for one another. It can only really happen... No, it can't. I won't say that. Uh, A marvelous opportunity for this to happen is in community. I can't explain to you over my lifetime how many times I've been absolutely transformed and changed because of the people around me showing brotherly love and affection or sisterly love and affection. Um, Community groups, we have community groups in, uh, in the project and to be engaged in community is such a massive opportunity to fulfill this command. I mean, you can try to do it outside of that um, and you just have to work out whether you're being faithful to God and doing what you're doing. Please, uh, I'm not your judge. I'm not here to judge and make a judgment on you. But uh, take every opportunity, would seem to be. Let brotherly love continue. Take every opportunity to be fulfilling this command to, uh, to love. And so in community, what can it look like? Um, in our community group, we've just multiplied into two and so there's been just opportunity after opportunity as the group has turned from one massive big group of about 30 people, including kids, to split in two, basically 15 people each. And, um, and it's been amazing to see people grow in community. Uh, I've heard of people who were not saying a single word, really sharing their lives openly and uh, being honest with people around them. And that is a clear way um, that you actually grow in brotherly love and affection for one another. You actually know one another. There's something in being known by people and knowing other people. And it increases your burden for them. And by burden, I don't mean this heavy dragging burden. I mean the burden to love people and the life that it brings. The life that it brings for you. Romans 12. If you've got Romans 12, uh, your Bible there, have a look in Romans chapter 12. This is the other one that you'll be uh, reading in community group. Uh, But Romans 12 chapter 3. Pursue humility. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So when you come to pursuing brotherly love, innately comes with this self-sacrificial, I can't think of myself more holy than I ought. Consider Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he became nothing and came as a servant, put flesh on, to serve, not to be served. This is the, uh, this is the attitude going on behind brotherly and sisterly affection. Verse 9, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Genuine love moves much further than just, than just saying a few words of encouragement. Don't know if you've noticed, when people say, I love you, maybe your family members, they say, I love you. And you could say, I love you a hundred thousand times. You could say, I love you at the end of every conversation. But unless that love is actually followed up by a genuine expression of that, 
it almost becomes meaningless, right? It's just like a nice tradition to say I love you at the end of a conversation. Um, unless that love is actually followed up with a genuine expression uh, of activity, of praying for one another, of working out ways to serve one another, uh, it becomes really empty. And I think that's where it loses its genuineness. It becomes really hypocritical. You're like, do you really love me or are you just saying that to be nice? You get what I'm saying? So it becomes really uh, about more than talk. 1 John 3.18 says, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So love moves from being just a few words that you say or maybe just a name that you call. Hey, brother. Hey, sister. All right? To being far deeper where you actually get to know them and you, you walk beside them. You live life with them. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Work out ways you can honor each other. Oftentimes in our Australian culture, is, uh, it, it's, it's cool and it's great when you actually hack on each other. And, uh, and so work out what's cultural and what can be enjoyed amongst relationships, but also work out, is that actually doing what biblically I'm called to do? Am I loving this person and working out ways to outdo them in honoring them? Verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. You know what cracked this for me? There was a, uh, there was a point in uh, our community group where we'd, been, we'd sort of share prayer points and there'd be things like, can you pray for my family? We're going through issues at the moment. Can you pray for... Um, uh, my grandma, she's been sick and she really needs prayer. Can you pray for my dog? Can you pray for... So there's all these different things we're asking God for. And, um, and it cracked wide open when we started asking the question, so in that situation where your grandma's sick, what are you tempted to think? How are, you, are you tempted to just forget about God and wonder, question God about why, why he's doing what he's doing? How can I pray for you not to be tempted to do that? How can I be pray for you to actually trust God in that situation? Work sucks. I really need help to, uh, to, to, to deal with work and to deal with my harsh boss. What are you tempted to do when you think about your boss? How are you tempted to speak to him? Can I pray for you to resist that temptation so that you can be a, uh, a light in your workplace? Can you see what opens up when it gets to the heart sort of core motive of what's going on? It's no longer just, it's okay to ask God to heal somebody or to, uh, to, to change somebody, but perhaps what's actually needed is, greatest need is uh, the change in your own heart. And so open up with questions like that. How can I pray for you? I met a church planner down at the coast. We're at my year nine camp. And, uh, and this guy has only just planted a church. It's probably a year old. He has um, less than 60 people. And they've just been meeting in their home and uh, they've just recently found a school that they can meet at because 60 people in his home was just getting too much. And uh, we had conversation. It literally felt like I was walking away from a brother simply because we could talk about uh, when Jesus had saved people in his church, when Jesus had saved people in my church. And uh, man, we just had brilliant conversations. Talked to him about fatherhood, how to encourage each other as dads. It was amazing. And, uh, and I got to the end and I was like, can I have your number? I'd just really like to be praying for you. And uh, he said, yeah, yeah, I'll pray for you as well. And I thought, could leave it at that. But then I was like, ask this question. So I said, so uh, 
how can I pray for you particularly? What are you tempted to think, or what's the temptation down the road that you can really see as a danger? Can I pray for you in that? And he said, yeah, the temptation is to really just become uh, in-house and uh, it's all about the people in here and not about people out there. And uh, so there was a specific thing that I got to pray for him and I continue to pray for him. Can you see, I'm hoping you can see, this goes far deeper into brotherly and sisterly affection. I have this longing for him that, man, his church would just go brilliantly down on the coast. I met him for three days, that was it. But I have this uh, longing inside Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Our community group this week, last week, uh, there was a particular couple who are um, remodeling their house and are doing things in their backyard. And so the opportunity came up for uh, people to go over and do stuff in their house. Um, it was, I mean, people are busy. People have got their own families. People are running a church. People are doing this, doing that. But most, most of the community group... Uh, got over there this Saturday morning. And so these uh, this couple were just absolutely blown away. It was a surprise for them. Uh, but this couple was just blown away. And do you know who was talking about it more? Were the people who got to go over and contribute. It wasn't the people who whose house it was at. It was actually the people who got to go and contribute. And so you can see, man, there's just such incredible life of this community of believers, brothers and sisters, learning to contribute to one another's needs. And what was the greatest joy? The greatest joy was actually going and doing that, taking time out of your busy schedule to uh, help the people around. Another example was when a, uh, a couple who, uh, who has been pregnant um, and, and the wife's pregnant, again, wife's pregnant, um, and... And they'd, they'd just been particularly struggling. And it appeared that they were sort of drawing back and pulling back. And, uh, and so um, one of the ladies in the community group got a bunch of other ladies together and said, let's cook some meals. Uh, they didn't know, we didn't know if they needed it. Um, we didn't know how we could actually connect with them. Uh, and so we just started cooking a bunch of meals and, uh, and took it over. And man, they were just so appreciative. It was this outward expression an active expression of this attitude of brotherly and sisterly love. Contribute to the needs of others. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Can you see the brotherly and sisterly affection right there? It's not just those out there, it's those in here. And the deeper you go with people, the more you ought to be crying together. The deeper you go with people, the more you ought to be rejoicing with one another. When God brings success, when God brings uh, answer to prayer, you get to rejoice with one another. You get to have big meals and parties together. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. If someone hurts you, part of being a brother or sister is that you're in the family. So let's deal with it. Perhaps dealing with it means we call the police because what they're doing to you is wrong. Maybe that's dealing with it. But we're brothers and sisters in this. And we actually hope for each other's redemption. We actually hope to see each other being made more like Jesus. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So let me close with this. Are you someone who has been born again? If not, then God is a good dad. And today Jesus could be become your big brother. Not the big brother who beat you up and messed you about, but the big brother who laid down his life to love you. 
and to save you. Become your king. He died in your place for your sin so you could become part of God's family. Second, do you attend church as a building or organization? Or do you get to attend to the needs of the people in the church? Is your love for your brothers and sisters growing in community with each other? And let it be that it continues to grow. Let it be that this place becomes renowned uh, like the Thessalonians were renowned for their brotherly and sisterly love. Let it be that this place is renowned for the brotherly and sisterly affection that you don't see anywhere else. Ultimately, this is about the renown of God. God's a good dad. And the more and more we become like his family, the more the deeper we become as his family, the more we reflect him being a really good dad. A good dad who deals justly through the gospel to reconcile people. A good dad who loves and of people who love one another. A good dad who, uh, who looks after his children. That's what we get to display to the world. So you know what? When you love each other well, you actually get to love other people well because they get to see you and be blown away by the way you deal with one another. Let me pray. God, thanks very much that you are the dad that you are. You're a perfect dad, better than any dad sitting here in this room right now. You're the best dad. You're the most perfect dad. And you're getting new children all the time. You, you have this overly abundant, generous heart that just wants to adopt more and more people in. More and more children into the family. And God, we ask you, please, please help us to continue to grow in brotherly love and sisterly love and affection for one another. I pray for those who have a tiny bit of affection, God, that that would grow into an overflowing river that can't be stopped. God, I ask that by your Holy Spirit, where there's been hurt, that there will be a change in attitude, there will be new eyes to be able to see this situation and have a, a heavenward perspective, to be able to love our enemies, seeming enemies. God, I pray that there would be great growth and it would continue to grow throughout the rest of the history of the project. However long you've got for us, God, pray that more and more, deeper and deeper we go into being the family that you've called us to be. Amen.